have our uh, video as we get ready to do our service. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus's way to communicate an important kingdom principle in a form that we could remember and that would meet us where we are at. Although the details of these stories were fictitious, the kingdom principles are not. Today, they continue to remind us who God is and what he calls us to be a part of and how much he loves us. I wanna ask, have you ever daydreamed about, well, not just daydream, but ever daydreamed about maybe finding a hidden treasure or something somewhere? I mean, you know, how many of you grew up on books and movies that told of pirates burying, you know, going to a deserted island and burying treasure, and then somebody goes and looks for it later and, and so forth and thought, about, man, that would be so cool to be able to do that. Have you ever thought of that? Or maybe you watched the movie National Treasure, um, or when you were younger, Goonies. Um, but <laughs> how many have watched that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but like, I, I like, I, I, you know, that that one's strange to me. But National Treasure, love that movie. You know, where where you know these people are searching for this hidden treasure, and and they're you know, they, they find it. And it's one thing, they see a few things of gold, think, wow, this is it. And then they light the, the, uh, the uh, trail of gunpowder, whatever it was that, you know, lights up and all of a sudden this whole place opens up to all of this treasure. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be neat to do that? Well, on November 16th, 1992, a tenant farmer named Peter Whaling, or Watling had the surprise of his life. He was working in a field in Suffolk, England, when he lost his hammer. I don't know what he was doing with the hammer in a field, maybe driving fence posts or something. I don't know, but he lost his hammer. He looked around, wasn't able to find it, looked some more, wasn't able to find it. So finally, he called a friend of his, Eric Laws, to help him find it. Now, Laws was a retired gardener and amateur uh, metal detectorist, and he agreed to help look for the hammer. So he started searching with his metal detector, and he soon discovered some silver spoons, some gold jewelry, a number of gold coins and, and silver coins, 
So they stopped and they notified the landowner, because this was a tenant farmer. They notified the landowner and notified the police. And then the next day, an archaeologist came out and they found a treasure trove of items dating back as far as the Iron Age and worth an estimated $3.8 million dollars. Can you imagine that? I mean, and much of it had been, you know, they found this, you know, carefully placed, the way like these gold bowls and so forth were, were stacked up, carefully placed within an oak chest, you know, and, you know, w- w- buried with the intent of coming back, you know, later uh, uh, to, to dig it up. That's what a treasure trove is, is something you bury with the intent later that you're going to come back. Well, something happened and they never did, and there's this, oak chest and the wood was all decayed around it but they still it still had the metting fiddle fittings around it and things were still placed just as they had been in the in the chest arranged you know like that um and and uh so in most of the uh you know uh the outline of the of the chest was you know visible around it i mean we 3.8 million dollars worth of treasure and, uh, you know, just by, found just by searching for a lost hammer. By the way, the hammer was later found and now sits in a British museum. But, I mean, how exciting would that be? How exciting would that be, you know? Now, it may sound strange to us. It's far-fetched to us. It's, it's you know, but in Jesus' day, there was nothing strange about people burying their valuables in the ground for safekeeping. Uh, because, you know, I mean, think about it. Often people didn't trust banks. And besides, if a raiding party came in to pillage the village, they could raid your house, they would go through your tents, whatever you were in, they would raid your, your, your place where you lived, but they wouldn't know where to dig or that they should dig in the ground. So that was really a safe place to put your, uh, to put your valuables So when Jesus told the parable that we're going to look at today, the thought of someone finding buried treasure would not have been a foreign concept to them at all. They could relate to it. So obviously the parable that I'm referring to is the parable of the hidden treasure. And it's found in Matthew 13. Let's go ahead and read it. Starting in verse 46, it's just, uh, and and it says, "The the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Then right after that parable, Jesus tells another one, very similar. He says again, in other words, along the same lines, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. We said before that every parable has one central point that it's trying to get across. And and last week you heard Jeff Stoner talk about the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And the point of that was that people matter to God. And he shared how, how um, uh, you know, he has a thing. He, he looks on the ground, and whenever he finds a, a penny, he picks it up. 
Whenever he finds one anywhere, he picks it up. Something that's been discarded, something that's been tossed aside as worthless, as, as no, nobody wanted it, he takes it and he picks it up. And then um, he, he'll, he'll take them home, and, and he was sure giving us an example last week of cleaning them up. He was actually using Skyline hot sauce. He, he put the pennies in a jar, poured it over, and, and, and cleaned them up, took them out and cleaned. He, he neglected to tell us, and not neglected, he forgot to tell us afterwards what he did with it, or why he was doing that, but it was cleaning up the pennies. But he said those pennies, he told us, were like people that sometimes society casts aside, discards, doesn't count the worth of, but they matter to God. That was the point of, of, of last week's, and I thought he brought it across so clearly. Well, the point of this parable today is simply this. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything. Everything, nothing held back. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything. So let's talk about that for a minute. First, I want to talk about what do we mean when we say kingdom of heaven. It's important that we define what we mean because some people have different ideas about what is meant. So we're going to talk about what you know. What, what's the kingdom of heaven? Um, first, let's talk about what the kingdom of heaven is not. The kingdom of heaven is not defined by a location as a country is, okay? So heaven is a place, okay? Heaven is a place. There is a real heaven, a real place. But when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're not just talking about that place, okay? Kingdom of heaven is not defined by boundaries and borders. For example, the, king, the, the, the United Kingdom has borders that define its territory. The same is true for Denmark and Norway and Sweden and Spain and the Netherlands and Belgium. Those are all kingdoms. They're sovereign monarchies in, in Europe which you know, with, with definite defined borders. Okay, That's not what we're talking about. Okay, that's not, the kingdom of heaven is not like that. The kingdom of heaven is also not the church. The church belongs to the kingdom of heaven. The church is a part of the kingdom of heaven, but they are not one and the same. Okay? What the kingdom of heaven is, is this. The kingdom of heaven, and it's also, by the way, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, those uh, are used interchangeably in Scripture, okay? It's, they're the, so we're talking about the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Matthew likes the term in his gospel. He, he prefers a term uh, using the term kingdom of heaven. So, but either one, they're interchangeable. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and the reign of God. Okay? It's the rule and the reign of God. So when the kingdom of God comes... The rule and the reign of God comes. It's where and when God's will is done. That's the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in on us, people are healed. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in on us, people are set free. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in on us, God's justice is manifest. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in on us, God's will rules in our lives. 
God's will rules in our communities. It's entering into a relationship with God through Jesus and letting His will rule and reign in our lives. That's the kingdom of heaven. The rule and the reign of God. And we see that around us. We see that in our lives. You know, we, 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 we talk about often that the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here, but it's already here, but yet not yet here. It's already here present among us. It's broken out among us. But yet, the, the, at the same time, the kingdom of heaven is still, part of it is still of its consummation, its fulfillment is not here yet. So we live in the tension between the two. But when we see the kingdom of heaven rule, when, it break, when we, see, we see it break out in our lives, when people are healed, people are set free, God's justice is manifest, and, and his, his, uh, his rule rules in our lives, in our communities, things change. So, so, you know, we're talking about entering into a relationship with God through Jesus and just letting his will have its way in our lives, letting his will rule in our lives. That's the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like when a man, he's out in a field, he's walking through a field, and all of a sudden he stumbles upon, he discovers a treasure. And in his excitement, he sells everything he owns and buys the field. In his excitement, the NLT says in his excitement, the NIV says in his joy. He's overcome. In his joy, he goes out, sells everything, and buys the field. He sells everything he owns, go buy that field in order to obtain the treasure. He sees something, and when he sees it, he, sees, he recognizes the value of what he's found. The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that we have everything the kingdom of heaven is of infinite value infinite value and we need to hear that you know there are a number of times where where you know we need to hear it with our ears and not just our heart there's a number of times where in the bible it says he who has ears to hear let him hear he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whatever the cost, whatever the cost, it is worth it. It's worth it. Whatever God asks of us, say yes to it. Don't hesitate. Say yes to it. It's worth it. Don't let anything get in the way and stop, us, stop you from hindering or from, from entering into a relationship with God through Jesus. Not just for one day so you can go to heaven. But so that we surrender our lives to his will now. Today. On this earth. No matter what it costs. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott, I love this thing that he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep 
What can we not keep? All the things in this world, all the temporal things. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The inheritance that's kept in heaven for us to gain what he cannot lose. In every area of our lives, whatever sacrifice might be asked of us, it's always worth doing God's will. It's always worth making the, the hard choice. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, he said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. He says you don't need to worry about everything else. What, you, what we need to do is just put our hearts towards seeking his kingdom. Seek his kingdom first. Value it above all else. Put doing his will in your life first and foremost above everything. Seek, actively search out, intentionally go after it. He'll take care of the things that you need. Everything else will fall into place. I'm not saying everything goes smoothly. I'm not, gonna, I'm not saying you won't go through some rough times. We all know that's not true because we've all been through those times. But when we seek his will first, when we seek the kingdom of God first, everything else, it is going to take care of itself. And you will get through the things that you're going through. Now, some people just stumble in God's kingdom. Like the guy in the story, the guy, the guy in the first parable. He's just going about his day, business as usual, stumbles across an amazing discovery. And he's smart enough to recognize that what he has found is worth more than all of his possessions combined. He's smart enough to recognize that. Other people spend their whole lives seeking it knowing there's something else, there's something more, there's something out there. Spend their whole lives seeking it, and then they find it. Like the merchant in the second parable, the merchant who finds that pearl, that one in a million pearl, that one of great value, that one of, you know, that, that is so, so magnificent, so perfect, so beautiful, so large, and that it's, that's, it's, it's priceless. And he's willing to say he's selling everything for it. When they came across the treasure or the pearl, both men recognized the value of what they found. And they were willing to give it all, willing to sell everything, jump in with both feet. Whatever you think you're giving up by surrendering yourself to God's will is nothing compared to what you have to gain. Nothing. I want to read what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Philippians after he stumbled upon the kingdom of God. He wasn't seeking it. He was persecuting. Okay, He was persecuting Christians. He didn't go out seeking the will. He was persecuting, but he stumbled headlong into it. He starts off in this passage by listing all of his qualifications, all of his accomplishments, all the things that he valued, everything. These are the things that are important. He starts off in Philippians 3, verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. In other words, strictly, exactly according to the way the law said. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. In other words, a people of God. And a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. In other words, every single little thing they followed. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Those are the things he valued. Those are his credentials. Those are the things that he treasured. Those, you know, his accomplishments, his resume, his reputation. And then he says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. And the word there in the, in the Greek is not really garbage, it's dung. I won't say it's crap. I won't say any other words for it, but that's what he's saying, you know. That's what he's saying. So he accounted it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death so that, no, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Those things that Paul held on to so tightly all those things that he thought were so valuable. He cashed it all in for the kingdom of God. After one kingdom encounter with Christ, he's ready to toss them all away, forget them forever. What was once so valuable to him, what he hung on to so dearly, so tightly, what he prided himself in, he now considered worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. One time there was a young man that asked Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. You know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't, you know, all, all of that. And, and the man, you know, responded rather proudly, I'm doing pretty good. I've kept all those all my life. I'm doing pretty good. Then Jesus said, there's one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor. Then come and follow me. The man went away sad because he was very wealthy. Now Jesus isn't saying here that when we come to him, we have to go sell everything we have and give it to the poor. That's not what this is teaching. What Jesus is teaching here, what he's saying is even scarier than that. He says, when you come to me, I want all of you. I want everything. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you hope to be, I want all of it. Doesn't literally mean go sell everything, but it means when we come and follow him, he wants us to jump in 
headfirst, dive into the pool, everything. Our whole life belongs to him. The man went away sad because he was very wealthy, not because he didn't see the treasure, but because he believed a lie that what he had and wanted to hold on to was worth more. He wasn't willing to give his all to follow Jesus. And Jesus wants our all. In 1966, at the age of 22, Jackie Pullinger, anybody know that name? Jackie Pullinger moved from England to Hong Kong where she would spend her life as a missionary. When she arrived in Hong Kong, she had $10 in her pocket. $10 to her name. She eventually went on to found St. Stephen's Society, which provided rehabilitation homes for recovering drug addicts, prostitutes, and gang members. And by December of 2007, it housed 200 people. All that from $10 in her pocket and just saying yes to Jesus. What can God do with us? What can God do with our lives when we give everything to him? There's no limit. And Jackie, uh, and by the way, you can read about her story in the book, Chasing the Dragon. But Jackie said this about the cost involved in giving it all to Jesus. And just jumping in with both feet. This is what I found out. This is the secret of the cross. You realize that before you've paid the price, it costs everything. And when you've paid the price, you know it costs nothing. You see, the struggle is in the decision. And that is so true. Before you pay the price, you think, oh my gosh, Jesus He's demanding everything. He wants my whole life. He wants all of me. I can't keep this area out. He didn't want me to keep this area out or that. He wants all of me. And we, we count the cost and we think, oh my gosh, it's going to cost everything I, ha I am, everything I have to follow him. But then once we've paid that price and we've jumped in with both feet, we look at it, I didn't give up anything. I didn't give up anything. Because what we gain is worth so much more. Before you pay the price, it costs everything. And when you've paid the price, you know it costs nothing. The struggle is in the decision. That's why we get fought so much when, when uh, you know, Christ comes and makes a call on our lives. That's why we get fought so much, you know, because we're looking at everything, you know, it means I have to, you know, it means I, you know, I can't do this, I'm going to lose this, I'm going to, you know, no. When, don't look at, like the guy in the field, what if he started looking at everything he had to sell and said, well, do I really want to treasure that much? Do I really want the treasure that much that I'm going to sell everything that I have? But no, he looked at the treasure. He looked at what he was going to gain. And he sold that and said, 
Yes, that's worth it. Everything else is worth nothing compared to that. And that's what the Apostle Paul said, the same thing. So I want to ask you this morning, open your eyes. Can you see the treasure in the middle of the field? Because the kingdom of God is here. It is right in front of us. The question is, do we recognize what's right in front of us? When we come to church, are we just coming and singing some songs, hopefully being inspired by a message, whatever, seeing friends? Are we coming and meeting with the living God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords? What's going on? Do we recognize what's right in front of us? Do, do we let the rule and reign of God determine every decision we make, every choice we, we make, every action we take? Does God's will rule your life? Are you and I willing to put the will of God before everything else in our lives? Because that's what he wants. That's the question before us. Are you willing to say yes to God's call, yes to God's will, even if it means surrendering all of your hopes, all of your desires, all of your dreams? That's the question before us. And I tell you, our biggest cheerleader in this is Jesus. Because he's saying, look, open your eyes and see what all that I'm offering, all that you have to gain. All I'm asking is for you to say yes to me. Put me first and let me direct your life. Friday night, we were, you know, as we were doing our prophetic uh, prophetic worship thing, sitting in God's presence and people were you know, creating and so forth. I felt the Lord sp- speak something very clearly to me and I wanted to, I wanted to r- read what I wrote down because I feel like it fits so much with this message. We have only begun to tap into the depth of the riches that the Lord has for us. There is so much more. Step into new experiences. Take a risk. Ask and keep on asking, and he will give it to you. Hear the invitation of the Lord. Step through that door and don't look back. The days of walking through a parched land are over. The spring rains of refreshing are here. Step into them and get soaked. That's an invitation to us. That's an invitation to us. And I shared that afterwards. And, and along with a, a, a word that the Lord had, had uh, Lord spoke to Susie, that she felt like the Lord said, we are returning. Here's where dead things come back to living. Here in his presence. Here's where dead things come back to living. The kingdom of heaven is here. The treasure is here.
and it's ours if we'll recognize it and let go of anything else that we may be holding on to that's holding us back. I want to pray. And if there's anything that you feel the Lord is saying, I want you to let go of this. I want you to release this. Anything that's holding you back from going all out. Everything for the kingdom. Then I invite you just to say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. That's what I did when I, when I gave my life to Christ. I, I, you know, I said, Lord, if you'll do this, then I'm all yours. I'll listen to anything you say. I'm all yours. Now, I've spent a lifetime trying to live that out and trying to take things back and then having to release them again. And we, that's just the way it is. We, you know, none of us get to this place where we just arrive. But when we keep our eyes on the treasure, and if that's, if, if that's you, just say, Lord, I want it all. I'll do whatever. I'll lay down whatever. Whatever your will is, that's what I want. And just surrender yourself to that. Father, we want your kingdom. We ask you to come and to rule in this place. Rule in our lives. We see the treasure in the field. We see the pearl of great price before us. And Lord, nothing that we hold on to is worth losing that treasure for. So we say now, Lord, that we are, going, we are letting go of those things. We're going to jump in. Feet first, head first, no stopping. We are going to jump in and we ask that as we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, we ask that you would make your will, begin to make it clear to us. Decisions, Lord, that people are making in this room. I just see a picture like of a cloud that's just separating down the middle. And what was once hazy and cloudy and, and unclear is now becoming clear. So, Lord, do that as we seek to do your will in our lives in this church. Lord, we want to commit and we are committing. We're going for the treasure. We're going for the treasure. And not holding on to anything that's going to hold us back. That's what we're doing, Lord. Give us your grace. Give us your discernment. Give us clarity of hearing your voice. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may He give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can see the treasure and so that you can know Him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know and experience the hope to which He has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go out and remember, you carry his presence wherever you go.